Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. I am the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan Aegis. I guess I should say hello. <laughs> What's going on, Grump? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. It is incredibly hot outside, so I apologize if you can hear either our fans or air conditioners. Yeah, remember this heat when we were uh, talking about playoff time in December and it's freezing cold out, and we're like, remember that OTA podcast we did back in May when it was 1,000 degrees? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, look back at that longingly underneath 10 layers of coats. <laughs> As we transition from beer to hot chocolate. <laughs> yes, the halftime hot chocolate rush at MetLife Stadium. Mm-hmm. We'll see you at Section 124 for that, kids. <laughs> So today we're going to go over uh, the defensive roster and how we think it's going to shake out. Um, I guess, uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start at the back end? Well, you want to do some quick news and notes first before we get into that? Oh yeah, sure, sure. So so over the course of the week, um, the Giants missed out on the opportunity to sign LeGarrette Blunt, who was released by the Patriots, I believe, right? No, his contract was up. um, They didn't didn't tender him and he was a free agent, so... Um, so it came out that uh, LeGarrette Blunt went to the Philadelphia Eagles, and it later came out that the Giants' offer that was on the table was for the minimum. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about all that? I know he led the league in rushing touchdowns last year, but there wasn't that much interest in him on the open market, and especially after the draft. And, you know, I, I personally, you know, if Paul Perkins is your starting running back, he's your starting running back, and you, you invested a fourth-round pick in Gallman. You know, where is he going to fit on the roster and why are you going to waste extra cap money on a guy, you know, that, you know, is 30 years old? So I, I, you know, I'm not too upset we didn't get him. I'm also not too upset that Philly got him either. You know, they're, you know, I know that everybody freaked out like, oh, the Eagles got him. But, um, you know, you know, I, I always tend to look at free agents at who else wants him and how much are they willing to, to pay for him. And when you're 30 years old and you're basically getting a show me contract, that tells me that there's not that much value invested in him and I think we're doing the right thing. I think so too. Uh, I think a lot of the sentiment that I read was that the Giants' interest was waning in the wake of the draft and uh, drafting Wayne Gallman from Clemson, who is now their power runner. I sort of disagree with that. I think the Giants always had the minimum offer on there, and I'll tell you why. I don't think LeGarrette Blunt is that good. I know he led the league in rushing touchdowns last year, but the Patriots are a very smart organization. They're coached very well, and they are designed to attack weaknesses so they get the most out of their players how many times has a a player left the patriots and not really done anything with the rest of his career um the patriots know exactly what they have in their players and there's a reason he was not re-signed the garrett blunt before playing for the patriots was not really much of anything anyway i and and philly is that team that collects names right i mean that's that's sort of in their dna yeah, and think about it. If he's basically playing on a show-me contract, he wants to play for an organization where he's going to get the maximum amount of rushes. I mean, he's going to be part of a committee by a backfield by committee with the Giants. You know, with with the Eagles, he's going to get a majority of the carries, so he's going to hit all of his, you know, his benchmarks for incentives. So I think it was a smart move on his part. And let's not forget that Legarrette Blunt's biggest knock on him was his inability to learn systems and blocking schemes. Um, it took him a couple of years with the Patriots to become this leader in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. And the reason why is because until he gets those blocking concepts down, when he's on the field, everybody knows he's going to run the ball. So to expect him to come in on one year and and do something incredible is expecting a lot from a guy who's never been able to do that. 
And let's be honest, too. I mean, those are big, gaudy numbers, but look at the offense he had around him. You know, you have Tom Brady still in his prime at age 63. You know, you have, you know, when he's healthy, the best tight end in the league. You have it, you're at an incredibly efficient offense that puts up tons of points and tons of yards. So he's a, he was a, a key piece, but still just a piece. You know, and we don't have that kind of offense that's that efficient, especially in the red zone. So, you know, I, I, I think for, you know, the money invested and stuff, I think we'd rather just be younger and see what we have with Perkins and with, with Gallman yeah. and with the other, you know, the other change of pace backs we have also. Yeah, and and one part of the Patriots offense that never, ever seems to get any credit, and I'm not really sure why, is the offensive line is very good. They know what they have in Tom Brady, and they invested everything in protecting him. More in that than in getting weapons. I mean, when you think of weapons with the New England Patriots, I mean, the only person that comes to mind besides Tom Brady is Gronkowski. Yeah. They always get this little piece, this little this little white receiver that comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden has 95 catches for, you know, 1,000 yards. And the guy always finds the seam or something. And they just replace that guy, you know, whether it's Wes Welker or Edelman or any one of these guys. And they'll do it again in two years also. Yeah, and, and the key there is really that the offensive line allows Brady the time to do what he game plans to do. And it allows the, you know, LeGarrette Blunts of the world to do something. So I, I don't I didn't care at all. I wasn't really even gonna be particularly enamored if we had wound up with LeGarrette Blunt. I had a feeling that if he played at all he'd be phased out at some point in the season. So I, I, I'm completely indifferent to him signing to the Eagles. Yeah, we gotta stop we have to we're working on getting out of the routine of phasing out guys and then we did it running back last year, we kinda of were phasing out running back. So I, I I think I'm fine with it. And I, I you know and don't get crazy, Giant fans, after two weeks all of a sudden he's leading the league and rushing or something with the Eagles because, you know, last year after week two, everybody in the last couple of years we thought the Eagles were going to the Super Bowl also and you know, their season was over by Thanksgiving. So Yeah. yeah. So without further ado, forget that. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll move on to our defensive roster, and uh, I don't think there was any other mo- news, right? I mean, that's pretty much it. Ah, uh, you know, OTA um, rookie camp came and went. You heard how great Davis Webb was, you know, throwing against air and seven on seven and against other rookies, and you know, the, the hype machine's always in effect with with rookies in their first weekend, and you know. You know, as long as nobody gets hurt, that's all. It's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, so, something that uh. I will point out um, because OTAs are indicative of you know some some names that you might hear later. And uh, going back in time, Victor Cruz was a name that came up in OTAs and minicamp, and it starts there and it steamrolls. Um, I don't think we have the next Victor Cruz on the roster. I'm not going to say that. What I am going to say is I was confused as to why Travis Rudolph went undrafted, and he impressed in OTAs. From everything I read, he he was clearly draft worthy at least in the later rounds from everything i was able to read i've seen him in i've seen him in person twice and i've you know obviously watching you know florida florida state games and other florida state games i mean he's they've developed quite a stable of of wide receivers over the last several years and i'm a little surprised myself i i think he didn't have a very good uh uh combine and his numbers weren't that outstanding but you know that's somebody if he can stick on the roster, you know, we we kind of got him for nothing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really see him being a starter or beating out any of the competition that we have in the starters, but he might wind up being some special teams ace or or something or some guy who comes in in a pinch and has a, some great game with you know nine catches for 140 yards or something like that. 
Who knows? You don't you don't want to be in one of those situations where you have four active receivers and you know the fourth guy is, you know, completely useless. I mean, you want to have like a Tavares King type of game where all of a sudden out of nowhere there's a 60-yard bomb to a wide open guy that nobody expected. So, you know, you, you want to see some competition down there at the lower uh you know, the lower edge of the roster, so it's, it was a long way to go, but it's a long way to go before we get to the final 53. So. Oh, of course, of course. And Tom Coughlin's famous quote is that you, your roster is as strong as your 53rd man. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Encouraging, to say the least. Uh, Jerry Reese has had a pretty good recent track record of undrafted free agents contributing. Andrew Adams sure. being the most recent man, uh, example. Sure, sure. Uh, and on the subject of Andrew Adams, we can go through um, the safeties that we have on the roster. I know I talked a little bit at length at, uh, about Darian Thompson and how a lot is expected of him, but we don't really have a very good resume to go off of. But I will pencil in Landon Collins with Darian Thompson as our starters. Mm-hmm. Um, and behind them, Andrew Adams, Nat Burhe, Mikel Thompson. I could see Mikel Thompson being cut. And just sticking with four. It's interesting. Uh, that's going to be one of those competitions in camp we're going to be looking at very carefully, I think. Uh, who impresses? Who? You know, you got to also figure one of these guys is probably going to get hurt again. You know, these guys that have a track record of getting hurt where there's little nagging things or more serious things. You know, it's, it's, it's very easy when you're looking at things in May to say, well, there's these five guys in four are going to battle. And, you know, that injury always seems to creep up, too. So, um Something to kind of consider when we're looking at this, at our crystal ball. Yeah, and, and the one that comes to mind is Nat Burhe. Um, I know he had some – he had like a calf issue and maybe a knee issue early on. But last year was really the concussion issue for him where he was knocked out for several games in a row with a yeah. concussion issue. And I, I really hope that that's not the, can- the case for him because I like the way he plays. I like the way he flies around the field. He's always around the ball. And the way the league is going also, you know, there's less and less tolerance for concussions and multiple concussions too. When you, you start to get your second and your third, these teams don't want to be liable for any long-term effects for it. So you, you might see a much – as a league-wide trend, more of a you know, second concussion and you may be gone. So Yeah, but I would say that uh, the safety position is pretty strong for us. Uh, I'm – I'm pretty happy with what we've got back there. If if Darian Thompson can turn out to be everything we thought he would be and hope he's going to be, then I'd say that we have a, a strong rotation of three very good safeties um, with Nat Burhey being uh, also, I, in my opinion, starting quality as a yeah, fourth. Yeah, I mean, I mean you got a, a Pro Bowl guy, an all-pro type guy back there now who made a, a huge jump from first to second year. Remember, he's only going to be – Landon Collins, me what twenty three this year? Something like that. Something. I mean, you're still talking a guy who's in the, you know, the beginning of his career, and it's only going to get better and better too. So, um, you know, when you have a strong anchor like that, you know, it really, really helps. So, I the secondary on this team, you know, it's it's such an improvement over how it was two years ago, and, and I know we spent a lot of money on it, and but we're we're hitting with some of these draft picks also, as we're yeah. going to talk about, I'm sure next. With but uh, it's, it's also important that we're hitting on the free agents, right? I mean, oh yeah. I, I, since we're talking about secondary, what about Namdi Asamoa? I remember his mega contract with Philly, and he was an immediate bust. Yeah, almost like from week three. It yeah. was like, this guy's a bust. It was. You're it right. was week three, and it was Victor Cruz that embarrassed him in Philly. Yeah. People, you know, they freak out about draft picks being a bust, but that doesn't kill you as much as a free agent bust because that lingers with that cap hit. 
you know, it's it's the that turd lasts with you for a couple of years after the fact. So yeah, and I think you can say that the three big money. Well, I, I, what is it? It's I guess it's technically four big money free agents from last year: Janoris Jenkins, Snacks, Jack Rabbit, Snacks, and um, Jason Pierre-Paul. I, all of them were hits. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess yeah, I guess you can put JPP in there. Um, but yeah, well, they all were absolute. They were monster hits. When, when and, they talk about the ninety million on defense, that includes Jason Pierre-Paul. So I threw him in there. But yeah, and it, it absolutely were, and they were. The cohesion of them immediately was really something, you know. It's sometimes you see it, it takes a while for a, kind of a rebuilt defense to show, and it was almost immediate. And uh, again, the, the whole defensive line now is locked up for the next four years. Something like that. Yeah. And, and how long is the secondary? The core of the secondary, at least four years as well. The core, I mean. The the core, yeah, you could say four years, yes. But if if there's a huge weakness in depth on this roster, the entire roster, it's cornerback position. So yes. our projected starters right now would be Janoris Jenkins playing outside with Eli Apple playing the other side and DRC who is going to be I guess primarily the slot guy who is perfectly capable of playing outside just as well. I think that they they did a lot of playing him in the slot and that sort of thing to keep him fresh for the entire year and it certainly worked as he was on fire down the stretch and then he was the one who went down in the playoff game against Green Bay, and from then on, that game was a wash. The game, so. the game is over after that. You're talking about the depth, where you can see, you know, as soon as he went down, it was they started picking apart, and it was all over. Yeah, and then beyond that, the, at least then our backup was Trevin Wade, who hate him as much as you want, is not that bad of a backup. But now our backups include Dante Dion, who I think is five eight, <laughs> and God. Antoine Blake, who is a special teams player. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's a major problem. We thought they were really going to address that in the draft, and they really didn't. So, And and don't get me wrong about Dante Dion. I think he is going to be a guy who can play the slot and play it well. Um, height is not as much a factor in the slot as long as you're not covering some 6'6 tight end. But he is quick, and he does have good ball skills. But he comes from Boise State. He played with Darian Thompson. I think his height was the only knock on him that let him go undrafted. And if you remember in the preseason last year he was covering i don't remember who it is but it's a very big name wide receiver who's very tall and he kind of played the ball all the way through the whistle in the end zone was it brandon marshall i, I want to say it was brandon marshall but i can't quite remember but yeah he, he stripped it out after he went to the ground he didn't maintain control all the way through and it was ruled incomplete correctly um you know his height he should have lost that based on height alone six three and five eight mm-hmm. but you know, he, he has fighting him. Uh, he might be a surprise. We don't know. I think we're going to find one of those backup uh, cornerback spots in somebody else's roster right now. I definitely see us kind of bottom fishing after a, after cutdowns to pick up somebody. Because again, we're not looking for a we're not looking for a starter. We're looking for a capable backup. And you know, somebody that's trying to cut some bait and cut some salary, we might be able to find something that can, you know, we can stick on the roster for us. So yeah, I, and I think if we're not doing that, we ought to. That, in my opinion is the the weakest part of this whole roster is the cornerback depth. Other than that, the starting caliber with safeties included and corners, slot corner included, I can't think of a better secondary in the league. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd put the secondary up with almost anybody. I mean, you know, just the uh, the, the cohesion and the depth and, you know, the way that the, the upper trajectory, again, you know, if Eli Apple has 80% of the leap from first to second year that uh, that Collins had, look out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you're talking about a core of you know guys in their prime and it, coming up in their prime you know and that way drc we can even kind of phase him out even more gently than than we have to so it's important you know this we're in a league where you know quick passing and passing is more and more it's it's more important to have that you know and they're kind of fa- let's Spagnola do more things inside and more rushing the passer than you know stopping the run early that allows that to happen on first down having that solid secondary you don't have to worry about yeah the the two things work hand in hand uh in order to get olivier vernon to be olivier vernon you've got to be able to cover for three seconds he's he needs more than three seconds to get there you know the linebackers on this roster um i know everybody thinks that this is the weakest position on the team this and tackles uh it's pretty weak, but it's not the worst. Uh, so by signing JPP nice and early, they were able to lock up Keenan Robinson, who had a pretty stellar year last year. That's that's a good addition. Uh, I know I know there's no star power in the in the linebacking committee here, but there is talent here. Uh, Keenan Robinson was very good. He was kind of the guy we've always been missing since like Michael Boley, somebody who had this speed and athleticism to cover tight ends really well. And he did a great job. If anybody caught anything against him, he was right there to make the tackle immediately. Uh, and even then, those guys were usually covered, and he was forcing incompletions more often than not. Um, Jonathan Casillas is probably our other starter. He is more. He, he, I mean, he plays all over the field. He's got good. He's just a wily sides. guy. Yeah, yeah, he's just kind of just there, and he's just like, oh, Casillas again. But you know, he does a little of everything. He does. He's very good against the run. He's pretty good against the pass. I, He's he's a decent blitzer. He's not great, but you know he's not a liability uh, in my opinion. No, I don't think anybody in this linebacking core is necessarily a liability. I just I think having such talent in front and behind them, I think you can get away with just having nondescript guys that are just gonna, you know, better than replacement value, but not stars. Yeah, and I think that's what we have right now. Yeah, and we're, we're looking for four, last year's fourth round pick, B.J. Goodson, to make the leap this year. You know, there's a lot of fluff pieces about other players saying, like, how much he showed in practice and how they're expecting big things from this year. That doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, but I do I do expect to see some improvement. I'll definitely be looking for him on the field in the preseason, see what he does. But if, the, if this defense can look like Clemson's defense from last year, which I know he wasn't on that team, but he was on the team the year before, uh, then we're in some pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, I'd say they won the national championship and they beat Alabama. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. <laughs> Um, if you look at anything like the 85 Bears, we're in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, this yeah, segment I, of Obvious Guy is brought to you by... Yeah. So BJ Goodson, from what I remember, is very good against the run. He's athletic enough to be good against the pass, but he, he was still kind of playing slow last year, so they brought him in nice and slow. Uh, hopefully he's getting up to NFL speed. He's reading things a little bit quicker. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's not an easy position to go right in and play. And the guys that do, you could tell right away. Those are the um, th- those are the guys that come out like Jared Davis. Those guys are gonna they're gonna be ballers right away. He's not that guy, but he can develop into being a starter in this league for sure. Again, I, I you know as much as I love Jared Davis and you know any guys that group in Foster, I, I'm. I'm glad we didn't trade up a couple spots to get any of those guys. I think we we can make do with this uh, linebacking core right now. Yeah, I agree. I think I would have reservations if we weren't able to re-sign Keenan Robinson, though. Um, but that's that's why free agency comes before the draft, and that's why I you'll hear me say this on this show, and I'll say it to Mike every single week we're sitting in the stands when we have our 
late October, what's our what's our draft needs list? And I always say, let's see what we do in free agency first. <laughs> so, yes. well, so so as a as a, a little background on the way me and Mike watch college football, <laughs> Mike watches the SEC pretty closely, and he knows Florida like the back of his hand. Mm. I, on the other hand, have no loyalties to any team whatsoever in college. I don't even have loyalties to a conference. I like watching guys. So when I hear names, I start watching them. Uh, I'll watch highlight videos and see if it's worth me watching a game. And I start looking for matchups. So if I see, you know, some guy from Pitt is, is, is creating some buzz, I'll like to see the game where Pitt plays like Ohio State or something like that. See him play some NFL competition. Grump watches college football games purely from a scouting standpoint of how this would help the Giants, where I am obviously, you know, if you listen to Mark and the Cranky fan, you know my Gator uh, loyalties. But um, different perspective, and it's very interesting when we watch stuff together how, uh, you know, how these four pair of eyes look at things completely differently. So Right, right. And, and whenever I'm watching a guy from the SEC, I know that Mike knows him better than me, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask his opinion and then he'll jump in my face about free agency and – and for all uh, six of you followers, when we have our special uh, Florida Vandy Giants Bucks weekend, when we road trip to both, we'll have extensive reports from both uh, games from the RV. So I know you're all excited to hear about that. So <laughs> I'm excited to go and drink heavily. Um, oh yes. <laughs> moving moving on. <laughs> um, also, uh, backup linebackers uh, Devon Kennard, um, fifth round pick from a couple of years ago. He's kind of not been a guy whose name we called a whole lot uh, i know initially in his first year he showed a lot of shine and then he sort yeah. of fizzled he but, peaked early he peaked in his first year but steve spagnuolo seems to have pinpointed his abilities and used him well he what he didn't play a lot of snaps last year but he was he made his presence known on every snap that he played so he's the kind of guy that pro football focus is going to show you nothing it doesn't matter but all you have to do is use the eye test. And when you watch that, him, he was disruptive force. He's never healthy. Yeah, yeah, we, was, never, we, we never get to see him at full strength because when, when he was a rookie, we thought this guy had a potential for being a, uh, you know, a, a pro bowler at some point. I mean he was a real badass and then he couldn't stay on the field and he kind of becomes a forgotten man. But he's the guy that, that you, you won't think about all game and you'll be intense and watching the game and then in the third quarter he'll come up and make some – huge wallop on somebody and force a fumble so right. he's he's that nondescript guy who's gonna who's gonna make a big play a splash play every once in a while uh, also linebackers on the roster mark herslick pretty much only in goal line situations the human are... cockroach who always just seems to survive every every time there's a cut down you think he's gonna get it and he still manages to stay on this roster at this point i don't even think he's ever gonna get cut i i don't i don't think it's gonna happen i don't count on it and i don't think I he think... deserves to I, I think he's played well on special teams i think he's found his niche i think he knows what he's doing and don't forget in that i believe it was the ravens game where they went for it on fourth and goal it was him and jonathan casillas that blew that play up Mm-hmm. And forced. I mean, and that was a huge turnaround. That whole game was a turnaround for the year. Everything about that game was the defense finally started to click. Um, Odell Beckham finally found his stride because prior to that, they were on a losing slide. Yeah, and it, he was getting frustrated. He wasn't getting the targets. He wasn't winning his matchups. Right. Uh, it, I mean, everything about that game was a clicked, and and I'm sure that fourth fourth and goal stand had a big part of it and he was part of that play so he's not totally useless he he does have you know his limitations he'll never yeah. be a starter but yeah i would never say he's useless he's one of these guys like get this guy off the roster it's just always you feel like 
you know, he's not going to be around next year. It just kind of feel like he's just, you know, they're going to upgrade and they never seem to do. And you look around on opening day and there he is, you know, and then right. And usually making a big play or being part of a big play. So he's a cockroach. He, he survives. He's a locker room guy. He's a, he's it's very important. It's critical. Uh, he's, he's that kind of guy who's going to lead the huddle. He's going to shout. He keeps everybody together. Um, I know off the field, he, he is a big advocate of, you know, I think domestic violence and that sort of thing. You know, he, he's a high character guy. He was a captain at Boston college. He's a leader. He's a leader. Despite his physical limitations, I think he's a big part of the locker room and keeping you, the defense. Yeah. You can only be so much of a locker room leader if you have value on the field as well. So that's an indication of what he can do on the field. You know, the biggest rah-rah cheerleaders, they never play. They're not leaders. You know, they're just guys who wave a towel on the sideline. But you know what? So I do think he's a leader of the, the play- special teams unit, though. No, I mean, so I mean, the, the players know what his value is on the field, where us as lay people may not necessarily notice what he does, but players respond to that on the field. That's how you become a leader. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm selling his, his value as a leader, in which kind of says more what he does on the field than maybe most people see. And I think specifically he's a leader on that special teams unit, too. The last guy who's a linebacker that's still in the roster, uh, a lot of people think he's going to get cut post-June 1, so we'll find out as that date comes up close. It was JT Thomas. Um, I, I've talked about this before. I had I had really high hopes for him. I thought he was a good free agent signing. Um, I really liked him at Jacksonville. I thought he was going to be a big-time starter for us. Unfortunately, he had a devastating injury to his knee right away. Uh, he tried to make a comeback a year later, which, by the way, we, we, we gloss over that kind of shit now. I don't know you know, if it was Adrian Peterson or what, but this, this torn ACL and then coming back a year later and being amazing, we, we sort of forget that that's like impossible. Exceptions don't prove rules. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, that's a devastating, devastating injury. And you know, 10, 15 years ago, it ended careers. Yeah. Ended I, them. I know people that don't walk correctly after tearing an ACL. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big deal, and we forget that it's, it's completely normal that he wasn't able to come back from that injury last year. Nevertheless, he's still on the roster. There's been no indications, mutterings, rumors of the Giants cutting him at all. Nothing. And uh, one of the reasons that's been speculated is because he's another one of those guys who in the locker room is, is a big presence to be felt. Um, I think the Giants also believe that athletically he has something to contribute. Um, we haven't seen him on the field in forever, so I, I, who am I to make that decision? Uh, I'd like to see him in preseason, hopefully. It would be really nice to see what he can do. Mm-hmm. He might be one of those guys, who the, one of the last cuts on the last weekend, so we'll see. But that pretty much li- wraps up our linebackers. Uh, there's not a lot to write home about, but it's not something I'm completely worried about either. No, I mean, again, having talent in front of them and back of them is going to help them out too, and they'll cover up whatever... No, I don't think there's any major deficiencies, so I, I think we'll be okay. I mean, again, though, if we, the injury bug hits, that's a different story, but you could say that about any position, really. Yeah. Uh, moving to the interior of the defensive line, which was at one time a weakness, is now, I would say, a strength. Uh, we all know what snacks Harrison brings to the table. Four years left on his contract. He's among the best in run stuffing. Uh, his ability to push the pocket on passing downs is... Uh, undervalued, I believe he was ranked in the top one NFL's top 100 bullshit list, number 96. Players raved about his ability. I, I call that list a bullshit list. It is a bullshit list. I think the rankings are bullshit, but I still listen to what the players have to say about them, and I, I value that. I think he's a guy that makes people around him better just by his presence. I mean, I think 
Jonathan Hankins should, you know, give a portion of his contract to him for making him a more valued guy in the open market. Yeah. And and there should be an asterisk next to every sack from that defensive line if he was on the field with them. It it, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference that he's able to eat up blockers. I, I mean, there's not much to say. I, I, he's he's one of the best in the league, a, a great free agent acquisition. And another one of those locker room guys. Yeah, another one of those locker room guys. It's something how these guys came in right away and became locker room guys. Like they brought a level of professionalism that was really needed. I mean, you had a lot of – I don't want to call it turmoil, but you had a lot of change. You had a team that for a decade had the same head coach. You had you know, a, a whole cultural change when you bring in a new head coach, especially after such a long time. And you have these guys who come in here who have been through the wars before and made that transition. And people, you know, people already forget, you know, after that Minnesota game and the Green Bay game, McAdoo was kind of a joke. You know, the guy with the huge menu size playlist that, you know, play that ran the same four plays over and over again. It just was very cold answers and stuff. And people were like, this guy's not an NFL coach. And what goes on in a locker room that we don't know about really changes the perception, the tie to what's going on on that team. So a lot of credit to guys like to like the snacks and, and, and the guys like Herzlick who've been around for a while. So. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about high-character guys and where they've come from and what they've had to do to be successful. So remember, Snacks went undrafted. Uh, he made his roster. JT Thomas was a sixth-round pick. Mark Herzlick went undrafted, also had to overcome cancer in college. Yeah. I mean, these are things that helped them become locker room guys. They had to rah-rah themselves to keep going, and they're used to it. They know what it takes to get other guys moving. But yeah, so Snacks, a lot, another one of those locker room guys. Uh I had initially penciled in Robert Thomas as being the starter next to Snacks, um, and I had outlined how you know Steve Spagnuolo always stops the run first, etc. Man, Dalvin Tomlinson though that second round pick, he might give Robert Thomas a run for his money to be starting even on day one. Um, we'll, I mean, we'll see. Obviously, the guys out there in shorts running around doesn't mean anything, but from what I've seen in college tape with him it wouldn't shock me if he were the the starter next to snacks on day one it also wouldn't shock me if he wasn't but i expect to see him playing throughout the year barring any injury yeah i mean shocked if he's starting on day one but maybe by week five he's starting too so you know this isn't an all or nothing proposition let's you know i think they had the luxury of letting him play into the position and uh i i think he's going to be starting by mid-season personally and again it's going to make the giants look that much smarter for not having to overspend for a guy like hankins there was no desperate need to re-sign him you know the guy was a a a solid guy but not a superstar and if you can able to plug him someone in right away at a fraction of the cost and under you know player control for the next several years those are the type of moves that a team like the patriots always seem to do yeah, and I, I feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers are another one of those teams. Just... Mm-hmm. And guess what? Those teams are always playing in January yeah. and always playing late into January. Yeah, and this is a guy who's got very high intelligence. I mean, I, I think I talked about this post-draft, but the, the first three draft picks all were scored incredibly high in the Wonderlick test. They were all impressive in their interviews, according to every team that interviewed them. You know, it could be that he picks up enough of the playbook, like you said, to be a starter by week five, be a key piece of this defense right in the middle mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. he's I mean, got a lot of talent he has the benefit of having a lot of talent around him too so yeah, yeah absolutely um robert thomas i think is, is going to be an integral part of this defense he's a guy who doesn't move very easily uh, he's a big guy in the middle he's kind of like 
he's kind of like Snacks, but he has less pass rushing ability. But, you know, he's part of that wall in the middle that just, you know, gives you that second and 11 and then third and 13, you know. Hey, you can build a solid rotation with those three guys. Yeah. I mean, teams would kill to have one of those or even two of them. We got three potential guys that, you know. The Great Wall of China in the middle there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, th- this is going to be a make-or-break year for Jay Bromley, I think. I think he's been underwhelming. He hasn't really developed any sort of big pass rush moves. I know he's been trying. He's worked out with JPP in the offseason. He just doesn't seem to have the moves or you know the quick jump off the ball to, to get in the backfield. But we'll, we'll see. Now, you know, now, now he's going to be the weakest link on that line. Let's see if he can step up his game, if he can take advantage of the talent around him um, and start and – start splitting some blockers and creating some pressure. I mean, he doesn't really have to be the guy who gets a sack every time, but when the pressure comes from up in the middle, it allows your defensive ends that you spent so much money on to do what they get paid to do. You know, so often we see JPP and Olivier Vernon going around the outside of our left and right tackles and forcing the QB up in the middle of the pocket. Well, if the QB can't get up in the middle of the pocket, the QB has to run to his right or left. They're running right into the arms of you know, our highest paid guys. Yeah. You know, the trend of quarterbacks is to be able to go side to side, but you know, moving up in the pocket is not a natural move for a lot of these type of spread quarterbacks and, and mobile quarterbacks. So it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a guy that the Giants signed as an undrafted free agent. I outlined him before that I really think has a chance to make this roster. And it's Jerron Jones from Notre Dame. Uh, he's an absolutely great three technique uh, in terms of skill set. He, he fell out of the draft because teams questioned his love for the game. You know, if 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 that gets corrected, if if for whatever reason he you know buys into the vibe of the organization, athletically, I don't think there's anything holding him back from being a uh, a rotation on this defensive line. Uh, if you don't believe me, watch the tape against Miami. So he sounds like a practice squad guy. He sounds like he, yeah. Well, we'll see in the preseason. You know, he might be one of those guys that's so good in the preseason that they have to keep him on the roster, or else they're not going to be able to retain him. Uh, you know what I mean? So we'll see what happens there. But initially, as of right now in May, I'll say yes. So I, I feel pretty strongly about the defensive tackle position. I, I like what we've got there. And then moving to the the ends. Uh, you know, I mean, we have some great bookend defensive ends. Maybe not the best in the league, but definitely up there. Olivier Vernon, who's primarily probably going to be lining up against left tackles, and JPP, who's going to be able to uh, utilize his strength and quickness against right tackles. Uh, yeah, I, I think what, if you keep these guys in a vacuum, if you talk about snacks in a vacuum or JPP in a vacuum or Olivier Vernon in a vacuum, you're like, well, they're not first-team all-pros. You put them all collectively in a unit with a, an aggressive coach like Spags, all of a sudden, you have an all-pro unit collectively. So this is definitely a sum is greater than the parts defense. Yeah, and overall, that's that's what matters. And I've said mm-hmm. this multiple times, but I think football is the ultimate team sport. Oh, absolutely. Baseball is a collection of individuals playing a game. Basketball is you don't two, have the one badass you can forget it. <laughs> Hockey is just, you know, guys going crazy for 90 seconds. And, you know, but football is, you're right. It's... It requires dedication and teamwork and being on the same page for every single play. Yeah, and so with those two starters, they're lo- they're locked up for the next four years. I know people are, you know, what we talked about with Hankins, they overpaid JPP. Yeah, probably. They probably did, but they got the guy that was needed more, that contributed more, that's going to contribute more, and that can't be duplicated as easily. 
Did they overpay for Olivier Vernon also? Yeah, probably. Janoris Jenkins too? Yeah, probably. They had the money. They but they Yeah, but who cares? Guys. Yeah. Two things. One, we had so much cap space. You know, we 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 dedicated the last two, three years to getting that cap space to do this very thing. And two, the cap's always rising. You know, there's you know, every time you look, there's a new deal for direct TV money or you know, they just signed a deal in China to to stream games there, and that's just more and more money for the league. And the cap keeps going up. The cap's not shrinking. So, you know, what sounds outrageous in 2017 is going to be a bargain in 2019. So, yeah. I don't worry about that. As long as you could afford it, you know, you do it. You you address the. We were people forget at this time. You know, 15 months ago, we had the worst defense in the National Football League. Disgusting. And you have the opportunity to to fix it in a, in a relatively quick way and not destroying your cap for years to come and not with guys that are over the hill. We're talking guys that are 27, 28, right in their prime. You know, we didn't go after, you know, a, uh, you know. Vince uh, Wilfork. Yeah, we're not going after a 34-year-old Vince Wilfork because nine years ago he was a Super Bowl hero or, you know, a Super Bowl loser in our case. You know, we're going at guys that are in their prime. So I don't worry about it. You know, people are just going to bitch and moan about things like that. And, you know, you have to look at the big picture. The important thing is if you have the money, it's okay to overspend. If you're going to overspend, at least get the guy. <laughs> get the yeah. right guy. That's all that mm-hmm. matters. And all the guys that we spent money on are were incredible contributors. And believe me, no team wants to line up against these guys. Not one of them. No. Des Bryant no. doesn't want to see Janoris Jenkins ever again. <laughs> um, you know, Tyron Smith is sick of Olivier Vernon. And guess what? You know, if you look at the schedule, we play our three division rivals in December at home where, yes, it's 93 degrees in late May here in New York. But guess what? In late December, it's going to be cold and raw and gross out. And if that defense is healthy and gets on a roll, it's going to be tough. Um, so the backups to our two stars there uh... – we got a little bit of a crowded room in the defensive ends. Kerry uh, Wynn signed his one-year tender. He's a high-motor guy who's a run-stopper. He's got a role. He does it well. He's not a liability. We don't uh, need him to start. That makes him even him. better. Exactly. He's he's that guy. And, and by the way, he's also a good special teams player. Um, mm-hmm. Romeo Okwara, who after one year as an unrest- uh, as a undrafted free agent, was not a liability filling in for Jason Pierre-Paul, and that's – that's really important. People are forgetting, like, you know, I'm not – me personally, I'm not convinced that he's going to develop into a guy who's going to be able to play at the level I expect of him. But he did only have one year under his belt, and he was an undrafted free free agent. So the fact that he was able to participate at all and not be a liability isn't an achievement. Well, the, well, the game – well, practice in OTAs and preseasons be a lot slower than it was last year for him. So Exactly. And the game itself should be slower for him next year. Whenever he comes in to play and you know rush the passer, which is his skill set, he's not as good playing against the run. But he's also not, in my opinion, a liability in terms of strength. It was more just you know minding your gaps kind of thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to come with time. Um, Owa Digizua, another guy who like Devon <laughs> Kennard before him, just didn't really live up to what we expect of him 
but I also don't see him as being a huge liability either. Just guy who's not making splash plays right now. I like to make sure we know where his head is. Also, I mean, we had a little bit of a a vague tweet from him in the off season that he'd retired and he didn't. So, yeah, gotta make sure we gotta make sure he's where his head is at. Yeah, and I I think a little bit of that is frustration in his own part and not being the guy he wants to be. Uh, but I mean, again, this this guy he only played what it was like two years, and he's playing behind two of the best guys in the league. I, I I don't expect every guy to come in and be outstanding. Like I said, he wasn't a liability. He wasn't down there getting his ass kicked every time he went on the field. He you just, don't need him to be. You know, we don't need to have fifty three all pros on your roster. You need role guys who can come in and, and do their job when they're called upon, whether it's five snaps a game or play a, a series at a time or have to spot start for something. And we were talking about Mark Herzlick before and how you know primarily his role is going to be special teams and maybe on just run-only-downs goal line situations. I am positive that he didn't come out of Boston College hoping for that role, but he still accepted it and he excels at what he does now. You know, yeah. I think I think that's a little bit of what Odigazua is trying to wrap his head around and just accept that he's not the guy like he was at UCLA. UCLA, right? Yeah, yeah. UCLA. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how these guys, the guys who last in the league longer, understand what their role is and what their niche is, and they thrive in it. The guys who are the ones who don't accept it, and those are the ones who flame out because there's no place for a guy who doesn't understand what he is that being said the drafting of avery moss from youngstown state um i think puts odigazua's okwara's and wins roster spot in jeopardy and not saying that he's going to be better than them or it's already better than them i think it's just a crowded room at defensive end and there's only so many roster spots uh, and when in doubt you're gonna go cheaper yeah and, and with with more team control yeah and and remember is a fifth round pick from this year is more valuable than an undrafted free agent in Kerry Wynn's case from however many wait, I think that was 2013 2014 he came from Richmond or you know Romeo Okwara another undrafted free agent was a cheap fix you know if if he filled in the gap for a while and now they got somebody better at a relatively similar cost they're going to take the better guy and Mm -hmm. you know uh, as far as Avery Moss goes, again, we have seen zero from him. But what I did see on tape was a lot of highly defined skill that he just needs to work on, you know, some maybe strength and conditioning. So we'll see how this summer goes for him. We'll see how, you know, mini camp goes. Sounds like another pe- potential practice squad guy too. Yeah, he could be another practice squad. But it, again, you know, the preseason means so much now that if guys flash too much, you got no choice but to keep him. So well, there may be something they may. That's one of the decisions you have to make if they they know he's going to be a practice squad guy. You might see him very limited amount in the preseason, which seems counterintuitive. But if it's a long range plan, that's what they'll do. Yeah, don't don't forget that Victor Cruz, the year that he had the breakout year in preseason, was not the year that he played on the team. He went down with a hamstring injury that no one ever saw happen. So right, and they injured a reserve. IR. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's so right. I do believe that maybe that hamstring injury was not very serious and it was maybe <laughs> a little bit just sore and the Giants were like, You're gonna get a full season and then we'll bring you're you. You're gonna we make sure you're completely healthy. Yeah. yeah. So you know, that's that's always a thing that teams can do. Uh we'll see what happens. I personally when I look at this defense, I feel pretty happy about it. I and I I, I said this before that one of the the least heralded moves that came in the offseason was retaining 
Steve Spagnolo. Uh, he was a guy who, who was at the end of his contract, could have easily been upset about the fact that he didn't get the head coaching job, could have easily moved on to another team looking for him. He probably got offers from other teams. Jerry Reese locked him up right away, and they're keeping the continuity on the defensive side of the ball. because was... I, I, I don't know what his market value is to be a head coach anymore, and to me everything else is just a lateral move. So I, course, I think but, uh, this is kind of his niche right now. I mean, you know – I don't see him as a – I mean, he was pretty terrible as a, a head coach. He was. And I, I – you know, some guys are just assistant coaches, and some guys haven't figured – the Wade Phillips and the uh, Norv Turners of the world haven't figured it out yet that that's their niche. And maybe, you know, he's the type of guy that's figured it out. So, I'll, I'll go on record and say this. I love Steve Spagnuolo. I, yeah. I really do. I Not just – not just, you know, with with – uh, you know, blinders on where I'm looking back to 2007, and you know the. I loved them last year. When we had the worst defense in the league because I knew we didn't have any talent to work with. Jimmys yeah. and Joes over X's and O's, my friend. It always happens, and you know, you know, if you have garbage around you, it's very tough to coach it up. Yeah, but I mean, even besides that, I love his demeanor. I I like the way he coaches. I like the way he handles the media. I just like I, I like everything about him. I think. You know, and, and you know that doesn't mean or count anything, but just as a personal side note, I I really like Steve Spagnuolo. I like him more than what I saw with you Perry. You know, I'd be more worried about. I'd be more worried if he got a head coaching job in college, and maybe not even talking like, you know, uh, a major Power Five conference. But I could see him going somewhere like to a Utah, like a like a USF type of school. You oh, know, yeah. maybe somewhere like that where I like guess second tier. Where you know he's got a lot of rah rah, he's got a lot of energy, you know. I can see him being a, a pretty decent recruiter. So you know that would be more of my worry that he gets picked by, you know, some college more than you know uh, another run of the mill team that's just like a, a Browns making the head coach or something, or the Bills or something, you know, on the treadmill of bad hires. I think that's a pretty valid point, but regardless of whether the the offers were coming from the NCAA or the NFL. Jerry Reese locked him up right away, and I thought that was an inc- an incredibly under undervalued move. It didn't really make a ton of headlines, mm-hmm. and it happened. It happened either in January or in February. It happened right away. Um, and I think that continuity on defense is is what's going to help this team make the 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 runs that they can make in the next couple of years for Eli's window, and hopefully. Uh, continue on with Davis Webb at the helm. This, you know. this team, this team is going to be successful based on how good their defense is. I mean, yes, Eli has been here forever, and you know Odell Beckham has the star power, but this team is a defensive team. I mean, that's what they are. I mean, their their best unit is the defense. You know, that's it. The, the unit's going to keep them in games when the offense is still sputtering. You know, we're we're you know. We're hoping that the offensive line makes an improvement. We're hoping the running game gets better. We're hoping Sterling Shepard takes a leap. We're hoping that Ingram is the guy. We're hoping, you know, Brandon Marshall can fit in seamlessly. But until then, it's all hope. The defense is what anchors this team. And this, you know, we lost that playoff game when the defense fell apart in the second half. So fortunately, that's the most solid side of the ball. And they're going to be together for a while. So. Uh, hope is dangerous. Hope can kill a man. I believe yeah. is the the quote from Shawshank Redemption, right? You know, I still haven't seen that movie yet, and I feel that's <laughs> I don't have my complete man card yeah. yet because I haven't. 
Yeah, well, we're, we won't get into the um, Grump and the Cranky Viewer <laughs> podcast where me and Mike yell at each other about movies and whether The Departed is better than Wolf of Wall Street or not. But... That will be a special six-part uh, episode <laughs> coming up next off-season. <laughs> we won't come to an agreement. We, we, won't, we won't have the discussion whether the Beatles weren't better than uh, oh. Queen. If you said my... Cream, I would have strangled you through this microphone. Well, I'm ready to strangle you with this Queen nonsense. So, <laughs> uh, All right. That's going to do it for us. Once again, I am the crank. Uh, I'm not the cranky fan. I am the football. Lucky grump. you. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at, at football underscore grump. Uh, you can follow this podcast at, at just giants pod. And you can email us with any questions, comments, concerns, just giants podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me at The Cranky Fan. Uh, you can also follow my companion show, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we discuss all things Florida Gator football, basketball, baseball, Gatorness. Um, that's also on SoundCloud at Mark and the Cranky Fan. But uh, until next week, go Giants. Go Giants. <laughs>